Go ahead and turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'll try to speak louder than I normally do, Brother Jerry. You kind of raise your hand up to remind me. years ago, uh, it was common to see you know, young, young Christians walking around with bracelets on their arm and the letters WWJD on them. What would Jesus do? You and I are not Jesus. We can't perform the miracles that he did and we can't live sinless lives. But we can study what he taught and what he expects us to do. Because sometimes we get in situations trying to think about, well, what would Jesus do? And like, well, he'd handle it perfectly, or he'd have a different tool than I've got. And so God does not expect you to be God. But we do have an obligation to see what did he say? And what did he teach? And what did he expect us to do? After John the Baptist was captured and put in prison, Jesus began his public earthly ministry. And his message from chapter 4 and verse 17, so he began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you're watching TV or see any commercials or billboards around, there's a group that's writing things about Jesus gets us. And they take a little bit of his messages and they water it down and so it's thin, 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 thin soup. I saw one that said, Jesus let his hair down too. I, I don't understand that reference. And so while it's true that he associated and went out to the sinners, the harlots, the cheats, the vilest of the vile. He had a message for them that's very different than just, you're okay. We're not okay. And the message is, repent. To turn... And this turning is not, all right, I'm going to turn five degrees on the wheel. I'm going to keep doing most of what I was doing, and I'm turning a little bit, all right? This is spinning that big paddle boat wheel 180 until you're going another direction to repent from it, to turn from it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was Jesus' basic message. Not stay the way you are, not you're good enough, it was turned. Now we know that it requires the enabling grace of God to be born again, to have any desire to turn. And we know that it's only by His grace that we can see that we have a need to turn. Because before then, we really don't think there's a problem. We may, may not be doing exactly what we want to do, but generally that's because we're limited by funds or opportunity or time. But it's not because we have a heartfelt desire to serve God. Because you don't. When you're dead, in trespasses and sins, when you have no spiritual life, you do not care what God expects, what would please Him, 
and you have no motivation to serve him. You're serving yourself. So that was Jesus' basic message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He went around to all the cities in Galilee, and he's preaching this. He's going into their synagogues, like at their local assembly, and he's teaching that. And he's performing great miracles, healing many people. And folks started to follow him. And we don't know all their motivations for following him. Some maybe for the teaching, some maybe for the healing. But there was a whole raft of folks who came out to hear him speak. His fame went through all Syria, the country to the northeast of Israel. Followed him great multitudes from Galilee, northern Israel, Decapolis, the ten-city region on the uh, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, from Jerusalem, 70, 80 miles south of where he's talking at, from Judea, that's the whole region in southern Israel, and from beyond Jordan. So if you go down and cross the Jordan, so you've got this whole countryside, and beyond this, the country who's come out to hear him speak. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among them. And his fame went throughout all of Syria. So great multitude. And he's seeing the multitude. He went up into the mountain. This is Matthew chapter 5. You haven't gotten there yet. And when he was set, he went up into the mountain, and when he was set, so he's sitting down, his disciples came to him. So folks, gather around where he's sitting. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them. Now, I'm going to read down to verse 16. If I thought I could hold your attention like he could, I would read the entire Sermon on the Mount before I made a single comment. I'm not brave enough to do that because I don't think I'll hold your attention. His words are worthy of our attention. There is a family grieving today because their son will never come to church with them again. And so, I would ask you to pay attention today like this may be the last time you get to learn about your Lord before you meet Him. And when we sing the closing song today, I want you to sing it like this may be the last opportunity you have to sing it. Tomorrow is not promised. Period. And if He calls us home, we're infinitely better off, but... We have a charge to redeem the time today. Redeem means to rescue from loss. We waste and lose a lot of time. Vanity and frippery and just uh, frivolity. Wasted time. So I'm, I'm begging, I'm encouraging, I'm rebuking, I'm exhorting all those things wrapped in one of listen carefully. Don't let your mind wander. The speaker as in everything in the text, is, is God. But Jesus is actively teaching, and so listen to what he said, and I want you to be thinking sharply about it. He opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How many times have you skimmed over that and never really stopped to think? Jesus is describing his children. All of these features that he's talking about, this is what a child of God looks like and is capable of whereas a child of wrath will not understand these things will not pursue these things cannot and if you'll notice the end result for each of those promises is the same thing different way of describing it Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor, poor there is to be a pauper, to be a beggar. And it's, it's not talking about your, your carnal stuff, not needs, not money, not clothing, but to be poor in spirit. Only a born-again child of God can see that he is poor, that he is a beggar, that he comes to God clinging for hope and help and mercy, knowing I have no righteousness to offer. Whereas someone who has not been blessed to be born yet says, I'm good enough. I've done enough. The average person thinks heaven can be bought pretty cheap. If I just live a decent, all right life and I don't do fill in whatever the blanks they kind of rule out, and then it always excludes their favorite pet sins, right? I'm good enough. And I'll just go to heaven, right? I'll earn heaven. This is what the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all those kind of religious leaders at that time, they thought, we are pretty good dudes, all right? Look at all these sinners. I know what she does. I know what he does. I, oh, man, I had to deal with him for taxes last year. I know what he does. I'm so much better than them. I'm just, I'm just rich. I mean, I'm, I'm rich with self-righteousness. So 
part of the miracle of the new birth is if you can know today that you are just a poor beggar, you're blessed. That is a blessing to know that. Because you know what the promise is for everyone that knows that they're a poor beggar? Theirs is present tense. Not will be. Certainly not may be or could be or we hope to be. Is. Remember that kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world? Is. These are the children that the Father gave to the Son before the world began and loves them with an eternal love, has prepared a place for them. The kingdom is theirs. Now, there were things that had to be done to prepare them for that kingdom, and that was the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His work. And in your life as a child of God, if you know that you are poor in spirit, that you just come before God with nothing to offer and you're just pleading for mercy and grace, then you can rejoice because that kingdom is already yours. Blessed are they that mourn. Mourn to grieve, to sorrow. Now, every, every human who's ever lived experiences some form of mourning, right? So this is probably not talking about just general mourning. There's a family grieving today, right? But this mourning is more than just I've had a loved one die or I miss somebody or, or whatever it is or I'm, 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 I'm upset. This is those who mourn and grieve for how we've sinned against God. A man or woman who has not been born again will not grieve for their sins. They cannot. Now, they may despise the consequences that come from sins. That's different. That's like the child who's sorry he got caught and is looking for the next opportunity to do it and he'll plan better next time. That's not what we're talking about. This is grieving of smoting. Have you ever, have you ever felt badly because you let somebody down? Someone who was counting on you, who depended on you, who gave you trust and confidence in you, do this or whatever, and you don't, and you have let them down. It's kind of like that, only on an infinitely grander scale. If you can see your sins, and you don't try to justify them, well, Lord, I was provoked. Well, Lord, you just don't understand the temptations that I was in. Lord, you don't understand I had such a hard day and I just... Uh, it's just the way I am. No. If you can see your sins and you just grieve for them, mourning, knowing how I have added this to the price that my Savior had to bear, Grieving for my sins, knowing that I can't stand before a holy and righteous God. Not on my own. I have no righteousness to bring, but I bring a whole lot of sin. If I can grieve for my sins, really grieve and really be upset by them and know that they're vile and they're wicked, not something that I can just whitewash and say, well, it's really not that big of a deal because go look over there. Right? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The comfort of the gospel message that Jesus Christ died and paid for your sins, it doesn't comfort somebody who's not grieving for their sins. They're not a problem to them anyway. What do I need any solution for? It's not that big of a deal. 
Whereas one who knows that we're just, it's like we're eat up with a cancer of sin. Just head to toe, just we're replete with it. Right? Jesus didn't come to heal those that are whole, but those that are sick. Right? He came to call sinners to repentance. Who can see their sin, who mourn for their sin, who grieve for their sin, and calls them to turn from it. So blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What's the comfort? The comfort is that Jesus Christ, as badly as it bothers you that sin, as badly as you know you failed the Father, the comfort is that Christ loved you anyway and sent His Son even when you were dead in sins. While you were without strength, Sent him to die for you and loved you and paid for that one too. Whatever the one that you're currently thinking about. He paid for that one too. That's a comfort that the world at large doesn't understand and can't understand. Blessed are the meek. He can be gentle. He can be humble. This idea in our pride we don't please the Lord. The concept of pride is to lift yourself up. Any y'all good at lifting yourself up? I'm great at it. <laughs> Lord regularly, I mean, it seems like my head can get like a balloon and the Lord is real good. Take that pen and go, My pride never glorifies God. Right? The function of pride is that you're trying to bring glory to yourself, consciously, subconsciously, out loud, internally. Now, ever done that humble thing? You know, I say humble things. It's not real humility. It's just kind of like, well, I'd like you to brag on me a little bit more, but I don't want to say it, so I'm just going <laughs> to, right? Give you that, that chuckle. Yeah, no, it's okay. But the born-again child of God can see as they're really poor and knowing their sins and grieving that they have nothing to be lifted up in pride about. And therefore they're humble and gentle. Ours is not to conquer this world. Jesus gave us comfort that He has victory over this world. One day we'll get to see in all the glory and splendor the grand finale of how he wraps this up and demonstrates, here's the victor. <coughs> and he's the master of ceremonies. And all I have to do is wait, really. Wait patiently. Continue to do the right thing. Stand fast. And battling that pride that so easily besets us. Blessed are they that are meek. And so if you can be lowly. I mean, we celebrate in our communion service the, the symbol of service to one another with washing each other's feet. That is a reminder to us of how meek and lowly we should be putting ourselves and the way the Lord designed in the church, His leaders of the church, the visible leaders, both pastors and deacons, are servants. How weird is that? Ever stop thinking about it? Any other structure in the whole world where the leaders are the biggest servants? Right. Well, that's the pattern that Christ gave. He came gentle and meek and in service to His brothers, His friends. Blessed are they that are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's not talking about this earth. This earth is corrupted. All of creation is groaning, waiting for the time when this will be burned up, put away, and that inheritance the Lord has prepared for us, that new heaven, that new earth, however you want to describe it, and we don't even know how great it's going to be, because the best your imagination is, it's better than that. 
and you didn't have to earn it, and you don't have to keep it or guard it. There's no one who can go to court and take it away from you. But you are the beneficiary of it because of Christ's work. Inheritor of the earth. The meek. So again, these are all attributes describing the born-again child of God. You're poor in spirit. You're mourning for your sins. You're humble because he's humbled us. An example of a very proud man, Saul of Tarsus, full of pride. He knew, he knew it all, and he was going to show everybody else that if you don't agree with me, I'm going to chunk your hiney in jail. Oh, they're going to put you to death. Uh, yeah, I confirm he was worshiping Jesus, right? And in a moment, the Lord humbled him down, so all I could say is, what would you have me to do, Lord? Who are you, Lord? What, do you, what would you have me to do? So he can humble us. But that humbling, that's a blessing. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. You say, well, that applies to everybody. Listen to what it focuses on. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Only those who have been revealed to see their sins. And they're mourning them and they're grieving them. Desire righteousness. The world couldn't care less about righteousness. They think they're already righteous. I'm good enough. I make my own rules, right? There's no standard of truth anymore. It's my own truth. That's your truth. Y'all, there's truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Singular. The truth. He is the word. God is truth. And if you're a born-again child of God, you desire righteousness. Sometimes you don't desire it enough. Sometimes we get distracted by the garbage, the stuff, the cares and the worlds, and the bright pinwheels. Watch a pinwheel, right? What value is that little pinwheel? Nothing. How many of y'all bought one in your life? How many of you sat there, right? How many hours in your life do you waste blowing pinwheels? Metaphorically. Hopefully not too many. But the idea... Is that we do and we should hunger and thirst after righteousness. Desiring it, desiring to be fed with it, to feel that in ourselves we're starving, that we're hollow. There's nothing that we can draw on of ourself to fill that void. They shall be filled. They shall be filled. Jesus described himself as being both the bread of life and giving living waters. He would not hunger and not thirst anymore. It's him. It's God. His righteousness will be put upon his people. And one day in glory, you'll be perfectly righteous. But if you haven't been born again down here, who cares? But if you have, and the Lord has given you eyes to see you as you are and the beauty of your Lord, to be filled with His righteousness as opposed to our own feeble, distorted, corrupt self-righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In part, you have the earnest of the Holy Spirit when you're born again now. That's just a small part. This is going to be the cup runneth over and you're just, it's replete. Perfect righteousness. You shall be filled. Perfectly comforted. You're comforted in many ways here. The Holy Ghost is a comforter now. The preacher mentioned in Rocky Mount that if you expect to be encouraged and comforted by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is a teacher and to remind you of this in your word. If you're not in the word, why are you expecting the Holy Ghost to bring you a lot of comfort? He brings to mind the things of the word when you need them. Read your Bibles. That was his point. I echoed that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What is the pattern that Jesus showed? 
over and over and over and over and over again. You may not be able to replicate the means of which he showed mercy, but he showed mercy. We're born again. We're created a new creature unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What doth the Lord require of you? Do justly and to love mercy. But what if I'm taken advantage of? Okay. Use wisdom. Use discernment. God, Jesus did not feed every person that came to him and asked for food. Right? He tried to make him a king because they wanted to keep eating. But our default should be mercy instead of hardness, which it tends to be reversed. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Later in Matthew, you're going to have this scene where Jesus is talking about the great judgment throne, and he's dividing the two peoples, his people and those that are not. The ones that he died for and those that he didn't. The ones that are regarded as sheep and those that are goats. No goats become sheep and no sheep are lost. But what's the main difference that he describes them? When I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was naked, his sheep did what? Showed mercy and not just with their faces, but in action. Mercy. You and I are able as born-again children, to show mercy because we can see what magnitude of mercy has been shown to us. If we put upon a standard of others, you're not worthy of mercy, were we? Nope. Definition of grace, right? Unearned favor. Mercy is not giving you what you rightfully deserve. I deserve to be squished like a bug. And yet God sent his son to die for me and to adopt me into his family and to give me an inheritance. I've been shown great mercy, and so have you. Blessed are the merciful... For they shall obtain mercy. Is there going to be any mercy shown to the goats at the end? None. But the attributes of his children is that they're merciful. And the end result is they obtain, they receive the ultimate mercy. Not because they deserve it. Well, I've shown mercy, therefore I earn mercy. No. You show mercy because he showed you what he did for you and you realize how merciful he's been to you. And because he's changed you, he's made you a new creature. If you are the same now as when you think you were born again and nothing has changed, there's a problem with that. If you can see your sins... And you're not mourning over them yet? All you need to be praying, the Lord will break your hard hearts. He's capable. And you and I are all capable of having our hearts hardened. I'm born again Christian. I can't have a hard heart. Yeah, you can, Bubba. You can get off base. You can get wrong thinking in your mind. Jesus had to tell his disciples that when you are converted, this will happen. He said, what? They've been following you for several years. What do you mean? They're not converted yet? To turn again. To pursue again. To be put back on the right track. Our hearts can be hardened with sin. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Just pluck this one real quick. Hebrews. Hopefully Facebook does a better job of uh, translating that word. They put stars on it. Last time I said pluck on it. It's not good. Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll text him tomorrow. I'll call him tomorrow. I'll show up and visit tomorrow. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
There's the seedful. And you can fold, pray to it. And on your own, you start isolating yourself away from the church, you're more likely to. And part of our job to each other is to mutually encourage and exhort and rebuke and challenge each other to draw closer to the Lord and closer to the Word. Lest we, through the deceitfulness of sins, have our hearts hardened. Now, you can't kill your heart. The Lord gave you a new heart, gave you eternal life. You can't kill it. But you can harden it. You can render it where it's obtuse and not readily discerning the things of the Lord. <clears throat> verse 8, chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart, pure clean. Could you make your heart clean? Not a chance. But if you know what Christ has done, and you know what His blood has done, and know that you've been washed, you've been washed completely, and can know that by Him, I've been made pure. That's a miracle. That's a blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, all of these, what shall happen? This is all describing for the full benefit of the children. You'll be able to see God. You'll be able to see your Lord. See some nail prints. He told one of them, doubting Thomas, right, that go ahead, stick your hand on my side. You can see where. No. I've seen you, I believe. He said, Well, blessed are those who see or believe and haven't seen yet, but one day you will. But be pure in heart. That's his work. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I think it's Romans that has some language about as much as within you as possible, live peaceably with all men. There's a lot of qualifiers in that of recognizing that you're probably going to fail that. But you're still charged to because the children of God are to be peacemakers, to be peaceable, to strive to have peace and reconciliation. There's a lot of verses about reconciling one to another. Why do you have to reconcile? Because you're both sinners. And you're both going to do things that are wrong and insensitive and dumb. So whether you're giving grace or receiving grace or giving forgiveness or needing forgiveness, guess what? It's not going to be long before the roles are swapped. But as a child of God, you're to be a peacemaker. Not a chip toter, right? You don't have a chip on your shoulder? Some of us are like we're going to Vegas. we got so many chips on our shoulder. We're just, man, and it just takes the littlest pick, and they'll fall off it. Oh, I'm going to pick them up. I'm going to stack them neat. I'm going to add a new one. Be a peacemaker, not a band-aider. A band-aider says, I'm going to put a little band-aid on this problem. I'm going to ignore it, pretend like it's not there. And then when it comes off, because I ain't dealt with the underlying problem, I'm upset. Right? We're, we're, we're cowardly when we band-aid. Right? It is requires more courage to do what God says and to deal with the underlying issues. Right? To speak the truth in love. To give grace readily, to forgive easily and without condition. All right? The forgiveness is for your benefit, not for theirs. You're called to forgive. The Lord will deal with the other party, but that is on you, and that's a requirement. That's not something that you're, it's not optional. Right? That's that servant who had the 10 billion talents that was owed. Right? If you owe me $10 billion and you don't pay, and then I forgive you, and then you go around to your guy who owes you one dollar, and you beat him to a bloody pulp, will I be real pleased at you? No. Well, that's what we're doing when all that God has forgiven us, and we're taking out that one dollar's worth of 
you know, wrong on somebody else and we're just pounding them over the head with it. That's the magnitude of how foolish we look in God's eyes when we refuse to forgive. All right? So blessed are the peacemakers. children They shall be called the children of God. Again, these are attributes of what the children of God looks like. Peacemakers. Verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You say, whoa, this is too much. We're blessed to live in a land, of, a land of freedom. We don't want any of that persecution stuff. Give us just the freedom and the rights, right? There's no guarantee for that. All right? There's no bill of rights that is amended to the Bible that says this is going to apply for y'all Americans, right? All that shall live godly shall suffer persecution, whether that's on a small scale or whether that's at your very life's costs. But when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, it says you're blessed. Your carnal mind says, no. I don't want there to be a cost for coming and, and, and for serving Christ. There is a cost. You can't have it both ways. You can't say that, yeah, I'm over here, I'm in the world, I'm doing exactly what I want, but I'm also serving Christ too. Right? One of those has got to give. And it really does not need to be Christ. Blessed are they when they are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Same language there as the poor in spirit. Who's going to be willing to stand for righteousness' sake? One who's mourning for their sins? One who's grieving? One who's been comforted and seen what Jesus has done? Right? One who's meek and humble? Who knows the mighty God who's called them to do to stand. One who's pure in heart. One who's merciful. One who's a peacemaker and yet still not willing to bend for the truth. Is any carnal man who's not born again going to have any desire to be persecuted for the cross sake? No! Right? You call that a fair weather Christian. You know, Christian in name only. But it's as long as there's benefit to me, sure. But if there's a cost, nah. Right? Ever had people talk about volunteering for stuff? Hey, yeah, it's a good idea. But when it actually came time to work, didn't want to show up. Whoa, no, that's harder. Right? There's a cost. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so if you're willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, that's because Christ has done a work in you to make you willing to do that. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Same group of people. Same benefit. Alright, somebody turn that phone off. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Revile you means to defame, to lie about you, to say all manner of things against you because you're standing for Christ's name. And persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Don't let it be true. All right? This is not saying do whatever you want when they talk bad about you, you're blessed. No, it's do what's right. And when it galls them so badly they can't find anything true to tell about you, they'll make up lies. That's okay. Don't be surprised if that's how the world treats you. Right? I'm largely ignored by the world, right? But if I had a platform where people heard my messages week after week, you know what happened? People would be very upset. They don't like the truth. They don't like God's word. I don't like hearing it plain. I, I'm trying to tell it to y'all plain. Right? Not, not skittering around the edges and trying to sand it down and make Jesus look more palatable to the world. He's righteous. I'm not. That message don't go over very well with the world. And so one who is willing to deal with the consequences and continue to stand fast and not run away, not be quiet... I'm not saying be belligerent and you know browbeat people because we're still peacemakers. We're still humble and meek. We're still gentle. We're still grieving for our own sins. We know, but we also know what Christ has done and standing firm for that and being willing to take the blowback. Rejoice. So if, you, if, if the person blessed, when you're reviled, when you're persecuted, all manner of evil spoken against you falsely for my sake, Rejoice! Our man says, what? 
I'm having all of this trouble because of this, and you want to tell me to rejoice? It says, be exceeding glad. Not just glad, but exceeding glad. Why? Because you're getting the exact same reception that God's prophets received in the Old Testament. Was it an easy job to go say, this is what the Lord said? Not a chance. Because you know what Israel and Judah, when they split up later, were often doing? Disobeying God. And he'd send a prophet to say, you need to repent and do better. And often the reception was, you need to be quiet or we'll kill you. And they did. Or stone you or saw you and saw you. Just, it was not a very welcome. Oh, well, welcome to the city. God sent you. Oh, we've been doing wrong. Well, well, my goodness. Well, we'll just have to change that. <laughs> you, you give me an example in the Bible when that happened. Right? When King David got called out by a prophet, he said, I'm a sinner. I've sinned before God. I've grieved before God. That's a very different reaction than when Saul got called out. He's like, no, I did everything right. What are you talking about? And the other folks have said, oh, you're saying bad things are going to happen because we're doing wrong? You need to be quiet. You're, you're, you're going to cause those bad things. That was, that was the reception the prophets got. Right? It was not a, there was a lot of uh, job hazards. I'm not sure what the word I'm thinking of. In that, in that, in that role, God called them to that and they faithfully obeyed it. And so if you have trials and persecutions because you're faithfully standing fast for God's word, it says you can rejoice. You're in good company. For those who are standing fast for God's work before you, they had a rough reception too. Be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. Again, same benefit all the way around. Be with God. See God. Be in heaven. Be in glory. Be with Him. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, were which before you. One who has been made poor, who recognizes her poorness. One who is mourning for the sins and comforted by God in them. And the small comfort already and then the large comfort that's still to come. One who's meek and humble. One who's hungry and thirsting for her righteousness. One who's merciful. One who's pure in heart. One who's a peacemaker. One who's willing to stand fast for what's true even when it hurts. These show up in your life. These are not hidden internal traits. They're visible to the world around you, to the church and the world at large. Ye are the salt of the earth. What's the purpose of salt? It has flavor. You can do a bunch of different things with it, but the point of salt, why do we have it? It has flavor. What do you do with salt that has no flavor? It ain't good for nothing. You can't add some salt to the salt. Right? Well, this can doesn't have... Well, just pour some more salt. No! The essence, the purpose of that is the salt. If you are created a new creature unto good works and you're not living them out in your life, you're tasteless salt. And what good are you doing in God's kingdom right now? None. He's created you anew. And ye are the salt. He's made you salt. And salt has characteristics and flavor about it. And that should be evident in our life. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. It will be cast out and to be trodden under men. That's the similes. That if you don't have that essential purpose, then what, what value are you at all? Right? And again, the admonition that comes after is you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, and that hill can be mountain. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but put it on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. These are all connected. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Whether they glorify him now or whether they glorify him at the judgment, saying, yeah, I have to give you glory. I persecuted that person. I hated that person, and yet they still did what was right and served you. That's your servant. You get glory from that. 
13 through 16. It's all the same admonition of live it out. Brother Randy was praying that we'd be better disciples this morning, to be an active follower of Christ this morning. Not just in word and not just here on the pew, but in our lives. Opening up our mouths, opening up our wallets, opening up whatever it is that we've got closed off and guarded and saying, no, Lord, you can't have this part of my life. Submit yourself. Because he's bought you. And everything you have, he's given you. It's already his. And it's mighty arrogant of us to look at the one who gave it to it and who belongs to it and says, no, you can't have that. No, I'm not going to use that for you. Yes, I know that that's what you've told me to do. And you know, sometimes the Lord will give you pretty specific instructions, right? And he can prompt you through the Holy Ghost that you need to go do this. Sometimes it's just general and you're, you're, you're in the Word. And, Lord, give me opportunities. Show me how I can do this. You know, you'll see a whole lot more opportunities when you're looking for them and you're ready to do it. Then when you're going, Lord, open the door, but not that one, or that one, or that one, certainly not that one, right? And you go Wednesday night, well, the Lord just hasn't opened up any doors this week, huh? Right? This should be our life, not just something we do. All right, today I'm going to focus on ministry, and I'm going to have this for you know 30 minutes, and then I'm going to go back to This should permeate our life. If we are salt, Christ says we are, and these are characteristics of salt, should salt's flavor change throughout the course of the day? I'm Sunday morning salt. <laughs> the rest of the week, I'm just quartz. I mean, <laughs> this is very radical teaching. This is not, you're doing okay, pat yourself on the back, and just go on. This is our Lord and our Savior speaking. And Lord willing, I, I think we ought to just go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe not today. <laughs> Maybe. But just listen very carefully to what our Lord has said because so often we tend to not go back and look. I don't know what the Lord's will is for me. Have you read his word? That's your best, best, best chance of finding it. He has revealed a whole lot about himself. Things that you can't find out in nature. Now, the wrath of God's revealed in creation. Even the goats can see his wrath. But to see his righteousness, to see his grace and his goodness, it's in his word. And his Holy Spirit, which will teach you and guide you and call to mind at the time you need it, the things that you're reading, the things that you're studying. There is great value in the Word of God. And guess what? We all hold it too cheaply. 